All right, if you have a Bible, you can turn to Ephesians chapter 5. I said that I'm going to introduce today a series that's going to be three parts. And I'm going to ask, um, if you're here or if you're watching online, to give us a little bit of graciousness. I'm doing, trying to do some things differently. You know, the Bible talks about how important it is for everyone to be ready in season and out of season to give a good word. And typically on a Sunday um, in our tradition, which has been the tradition of most Orthodox Christians throughout history, you know, uh, a, a pastor or a teacher stands up and he leads in a, in a teaching and preaches from the Word, and certainly we that's a very, very important thing. But over the next couple of weeks, and even starting today, I'm going to incorporate some other people involved in what we're doing to hopefully help us communicate such an important important lesson. If you'll remember, throughout the book of Ephesians, Paul has led up to the point where he's challenging us to live in such a way that we imitate God. You see, Paul's very clear that as a Christian, a true Christian, a biblical Christian, you're supposed to live in such a way that your life imitates the kind of life that God would want you to live. Now, we all know that there are many different ways to live. There are many different worldviews. There are many different things that we can do, things that can shape our life, and all of them are definitely not God, right? There are a, a, a host of other paths that people can choose. However, Paul says for the Christian, we're to choose a life that honors God. And one of the ways that, that we do that that's critical is in our relationships, I mean, certainly our lives are made up of a number of things, our time and our effort and our energy and our, and our relationships. And so Paul takes the next few verses and he describes and he tries to teach on this idea of how to use and engage in relationships in the way that God wants. And not everyone's going to apply to everyone because not everyone in here is necessarily going to be married or everyone's necessarily going to have kids. Maybe you're going to get married one day or maybe you can help influence somebody who is married or maybe you don't have any kids but you, you work with kids. And so it, there is application. It may be more specific to some than to others. But it's a challenging passage that Paul writes because this is a passage that stands in contradiction to a predominant worldview. You see, we live in a world that has embraced autonomy and authority for ourselves, self-sufficiency. And so the word that Paul's going to use over the next several scriptures is a word that none of us like, and the word is submission. We don't like submission because why? To submit to something says that I'm not necessarily in charge, and I agree that I do not like to submit. However, the Scriptures over and over and over tell us that to be in right relationship with God, we have to submit to Him. And so it's important that we listen, we look at this passage today that, that submission is the key to godly relationships. And that comes in a lot of different forms. And so we're going to look at that. Today, in this particular passage, Paul starts off and he, he looks at what is submission, what does a godly relationship look like related to marriage because marriage is a very important even from the earliest church even now into the Roman Catholic Church it's they call it one of the sacraments right it is a integral key part of what God is doing in the world from the very beginning and so that is what today's topic is is godly relationships looking at it from the standpoint of marriage I want to read this scripture to you today and then I'm going to invite a very special guest up to talk about 
um, some of what she thinks that means. Why don't you stand with me as we honor the public reading of the Scriptures together. Look what it says here in verse 21. It says, Further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And if you jump down, For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of, the, of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives, just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love your wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. May God bless the public reading of his word. You may be seated. You see, Paul jumps in here to define for us what a godly marriage should look like. And he uses the backdrop of an illustration of Christ and Christ's great love for the church. And so as we started thinking about this, you know, instead of me just telling you what I think, um, you know, I, I began to feel led that, hey, why don't I ask someone else to share a little bit, someone who is what? Because it's, it deals here with both wives and husbands. And, you know, even though I do have long hair, as somebody pointed out earlier, I cannot, that does not qualify me with long hair to speak as a wife, right? I mean, so no, I'm a, I'm a husband. So I invited my wife, if she would, if she felt led to share some of what her thoughts were on the passage from a, from a female perspective. And so I want to invite her to come up. She's very nervous, but I'm going to let her share for just a few minutes and I'm going to be sitting over here and uh, let you listen to her. So you can imagine my response when he asked me to do this. This is very I want to tell you what you I'm here. I'm here. So. Well, I'll start um, the same way I started the Bible study. Um, I look up the definition of Look at someone else's desires before your own. Paul uses a military term to put oneself in rank under another. The first word in Greek says a decision under or rank under. The second is to arrange or put in place. So marriage is a relationship that mirrors the love between Christ and his church. The husband is to submit to the Lord, leading his wife with a servant's heart, Nurturing her, her God-given talents, and she's called to submit to him, to lean on him, and to trust in him. So I'm going to main, mention uh, seven points of what submission is. And some of it is personal. Other I got from John Piper, which I absolutely love. And I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Uh, Evans, Tony Evans. So like I said, some of it, it might be very personal to me. So number one, he says, it means to be 
my husband's helper, lover and supporter. In Genesis 2.18, it is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. So it means to embrace the role of my husband as a helpmate. And let's face it, as a day-to-day with school, work, and everything that we have going on, it actually allows my husband to lead and me, you know, take the backseat or the help helper um, role. And this uh, this is actually feels good. I don't always have to feel like I'm in control or I have to micromanage what he does. Okay, ladies, the Lord said or told Adam that he needed a helpmate because, let's face it, the dudes can't even find their own things in the morning. Just this morning, where are my clippers? It was right next to him. So they definitely need help. All right, number two, hold back when I want to direct my husband. I'm learning that it is more about what I don't say than what I do. Holding back even when I have a strong tendency to loudly tell him the truth. Holding back can sometimes communicate more love and respect. Number three, physically greet my husband at the door with a smile and a positive attitude. And I'll set out to do this, and he'll come in. I mean, I'm excited. He's coming home, and he comes in with the phone, and he's talking to to Mark about shingles for an hour. So I guess what I have to say, it's not always like that, but don't let his actions steal your joy. The joy you have, and you have to think about, he just walked through the door. So it's perspective. Number four, focus on being grateful for what your husband does every day. Think about what he does on a day-to-day basis. What can I do for him? How can I show him respect? How can I show him love in the midst of such business? Be creative and seek to know what he really likes. Number five, I make my husband feel important because he is. He's essential. Get him an essential shirt like he, I got Jason. <laughs> Let him be your hero. Um, men by nature want to feel heroic. When we dated, he quoted this, and I hope he's not embarrassed by me saying it. Deep in his heart, every man long, longs for a battle to fight and invent an adventure to live, and a beauty to rescue. And he got that from the book Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. He knew I love reading, and he had me read that book, and that just made me fall even more for him. Great book, ladies. Discover the secrets of a man's soul, the subject of masculinity, and how they need validation. So think about and brag on the things that he, only he does, and he does so well. For example, that bread pudding that's coming up (laughs) with the extra rum sauce. (laughs) And I won't mention the rest because I'll keep that private. (laughs) Number six, support your husband's decision when even when you don't agree. That is extremely hard for me sometimes. Believe me, that is an area that I need prayer in. You state your opinion when you disagree with him, but you let it be in a tone that he can discern your longing and you don't agree, but you don't demean him. And that can be challenging because when you don't agree, we're emotional, we're Spanish. We're going to say exactly what we feel, right? Even if you're not Spanish, I'm sure you struggle with that as well, right? Okay, Proverbs 31, 26. She speaks with wisdom and faithful instruction is on her tongue. It's something to think about, ladies. Number seven and the last one. 
pray for God to give you the heart of submission. Fervently praying because submission does not come naturally. For none of us. Even when you're a toddler, what is the first thing they do, right? It's all about them. It's all about me. I want my way. So it's not something that, we're, that we want to do. It's something we have to fight against. When do we ever pray about submission? Do I pray that God makes me submissive to my husband? Now I'm going to mention seven points that submission is not. Number one, submission is not agreeing on everything. Because if we're honest, it's impossible, right? God made you with a mind to think, process, and share your thoughts and opinions. It is possible to be submissive and refuse to think, do, or believe like your husband. For example, in the case of an unbeliever, if your unbelieving spouse tells you, oh, we're going to a new age church today, or we're going to listen to whatever and whatever, or do whatever, are you going to submit to your husband? Your allegiance is to Christ, not your husband. Number two, submission does not mean leaving your brain at the altar. Any man who says things like, and I got this from John Piper if you want to look it up, I do the thinking in this family because I said so. A dictator kind of not respecting your boundaries. This is a sick and distorted view of authority. All throughout the marriage, a husband is reckoning with an independent individual yourself that has thoughts that are worth listening to. It's the working out of one flesh as a union together for the common good. So leadership does not mean you do not listen or you mock the lesser being, right? It does not mean always having the last word. Good leaders often say, you were right, I was wrong. John Piper says, in your relationship with your spouse, who says let's more often? Let's get our finances in order. Let's go to church. Let's get to church on time. Let's start a devotional study. Let's do this. Let's do that. If it's the wife, there might be a little bit of a problem there because deep inside, a woman wants to be led, even if they don't want to acknowledge that because society wants to make us so independent. I can do it. I don't need you, right? Numbers three, submission does not mean living or acting in fear. Why should I fear someone who loves me like a servant, right? You are not a doormat. I should have freedom of speech without fear of retributions or retaliations, to speak my thoughts and opinions, and to set boundaries. We should settle the principle that early, if we can't agree, Jason and I, it would be his call. At times, this is very difficult for me because I am quick to point out what he does wrong, or I think of his track record. And I'm quick to trust myself over him. And I know this is hurtful to him. So let's think for a minute here. Can a car be driven by two drivers? Number four, submission does not mean you do not try to influence your husband. It does not mean avoiding the effort to influence your husband, especially if he's an unbeliever, right? Influence your husband to be the best leader God made him to be. You're his cheerleader, his encourager. You want to speak words of wisdom and to speak things that you want to see in him. If your husband is living in sin, do you just let him be or you let him fall? 
and I like this quote. It has nothing to do with this, but I added it here because it says, the words we say about others speak volumes about us. And that's by Lisa Turkhorst. Number five, submission is not putting the will of the husband before the will of Christ. Christ is my Lord, and for the Lord's sake, I will submit to Jason. Therefore, where I have to choose between the two, I will choose the Lord. If your husband says, let's get involved in a scam, who are you going to follow? Your allegiance again is to Christ. And you decline, but the problem is you have to decline with a, not with a haughty attitude, but rather with a winsome, longing, submissive, meek voice where you don't demean him. And that is difficult. Submission does not mean getting all your spiritual strength through and from your husband. Your hope, my hope, is in God. Revelations 2.4, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love of you had at first. Don't abandon your first love, ladies. And I don't mean your high school sweetheart or your college sweetheart. Your first love is not your son. Your first love is that love you had when you, you learned about Christ and that enthusiasm you had. Submission, lastly, is an example of that Dr. Tony Evans gives, and I absolutely love this example. He says, a wife's attitude can make or break a man. He gives a scenario that I want you to visualize as I speak, all the ladies. So I want you to pretend you're in a courtroom. So let's say we're in a courtroom, courtroom, and let's say you get upset and emotional at the proceedings. You don't like what's going on. You begin to blur out, yell out, or support your facts. Even if you are right and the other person on the other side is wrong, the judge will say you are out of order. In fact, if you continue emotionally ranting and raving and supporting your facts, a judge will then say you are in contempt of court, right? There are many times that we as women speak our mind, and at that point we are living in contempt of God's court by refusal to surrender to God's order. And that order is clear to respect your husband. I am to respect, submit, and surrender regardless of whether he's right or not. Let us not forget that he will have to answer to God regarding his leadership, right? God is not going to question me on how he did as a leader. But he might say, how did you respond? So I'll finish with submission is the calling of a wife to honor, affirm her husband's leadership to help him carry it out through according to her gifts. There's one more thing I would like to read, and it's my concordance on, on my Bible regarding the whole subject. It says, submitting to another person is often misunderstood. It is often a misunderstood concept. It does not mean becoming a doormat Christ at whose name every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth submitted to his will to the Father. And we honor Christ by following his example. When we submit to God, we become more willingly to obey his command to submit to others, that is, to subordinate our rights to theirs. In a marriage relationship, both husband and wife are called to submit. For the wife, this means willingly following her husband's leadership in Christ. For the husband, it means putting aside his own interests in order to care for his wife. Submission is rarely a problem 
in homes where both partners have a strong relationship with Christ and where each is concerned for the happiness of the other. And I'm going to sleep good tonight because <laughs> I'm glad it's over. In case you're watching this online or if you're here, I didn't tell her anything to say. And um, if you know my wife, my wife is a very strong personality. She is Hispanic. She's educated. She's a professional, very successful in her field. And so this is, this is her perspective on that particular scripture. And it does stand in stark contrast to what? To the world's philosophy on me being in charge. And one of the things that I really have seen God do in her life and as what she's doing and what he's doing in my life as a result of that is this whole idea of, see, when it comes to submission, we all want to worry about what the other person is doing. You see, the husband wants to know if the wife's doing the submitting and the wife wants to know if the husband's doing what he's supposed to do. And my, my point in this series is that we all have to answer for ourselves. And so the husbands, we're not off the hook, okay? Look at what it says the husbands are supposed to do. And I'm going to go through this very quickly. See, the husbands, part of our role in submitting to God and submitting in this marriage relationship is that we're supposed to love our wives. And he gives some descriptions here about how we're supposed to love our wives. And this is very challenging. It's very personal. And so I encourage you to think about this. Whether you're in a marriage or you're going to be in a marriage, some of you may look back and go, man, this is what was wrong with my marriage but look at what he says. Husbands, love your wives. How? First off, like Christ loved the church. Christ loved the church so much that he did what? He was willing to die for the church. See, husbands, you're supposed to love your wife. I'm supposed to love my wife so much that I'm willing to die for her. I'm willing to die for her. I'm willing to, to take the arrows. I'm willing to do everything that I can for her. And see, some of us, uh, maybe we can do that, right? Because it seems, you know, it's, there's somewhat some heroism in that. There's somewhat, you know, of, of a little bit of macho manliness in that. And so we, yeah, I'd die for my wife. And maybe you're sitting there saying, hey, I'd be willing to die for my wife. Now, part of that is got to think more about her than yourself. You can't be selfish. And that's where we all struggle. We tend to want our own way instead of someone else's way. But I'm going to tell you what's sometimes harder than being willing to die for your wife what else did Christ do for the church? He lived for the church. You know, you remember in Philippians where it says Christ did not regard equality with God as something to be grasped, but what? He humbled himself even to the point of a servant so that he left the grandeur of heaven and he comes to the earth to live a certain number of years in flesh. He allows people to pluck his beard out. He allows people to talk down upon him. He allows so many negative things to happen. I mean, he's willing to live for the church. I mean, you realize, and I, you hear me say this a lot, even when he was right, he didn't have to tell them he was right. He didn't feel the need to always tell them they were wrong. He always had the big picture in mind. He was willing to humble himself to live for the church. Husbands. Sometimes it's a lot harder to humble yourself and live love for your wife than it is to think about dying because that's over. 
I'm sure Jesus, when he was in heaven, said, look, God, God the Father, let me tell you what would be a great plan. Let me just go ahead and get this thing done with. Let's go with a hanging, or let's go with a bullet to the head, or let's go with a, a beheading, and let's just get that sacrificial thing over, and let's do it just like that. But that wasn't the plan. He had to live a life of obedience out of love for the church. Husbands, we have to live live out our love for our wives. Look at a couple other things right here, and I'm going to move very quickly through this. Look at how Paul describes the church and how Christ sees the church. He sees her, look what it says there, he wants to, to make her holy, clean, washed by the cleansing of God's Word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy without fault. Instead, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. Look, I just thought about three things here that how Christ loved the church that are really applicable. Christ sees the church as beautiful. Do you see your wife as beautiful? Now, I'm not talking about fleeting beauty, even though my wife is beautiful, and I love my beautiful wife, but, but her beauty is beyond the skin. The beauty is the heart. The beauty is the attitude. I see her beauty when I see her helping my children learn, when I see her having a heart for God. And look, th that's what beauty is. Do you see your wife as beautiful, husband? That's what your wife wants. She wants you to see her beauty. Now, is she flawed? Absolutely. Are you flawed? Absolutely. But listen, sometimes we see beauty and we see that beauty in the midst of all of this. The second thing we see, Christ sees the best in the church. Husbands, you see the best in your wife? Are you a half full person when it comes to how you look at your wife? Do you see all the good things she does? Or do you tend to see the negative things? And I have to confess, my tendency sometimes is what? Because I'm pragmatic, I will focus on the negative and try to take for granted the good. And that's wrong. Look, husbands, you're supposed to love your wives by always looking out for the best, wanting the best, seeing the best. And this whole idea of without blemish, are you motivated? Am I motivated to try to help my wife become better? Or am I too proud to humble myself and do the things that it takes to help her be better? You know, we all have struggles. We all have tendencies and we have things that, that we don't do so well at. You know, and we, if we're wise, we can identify those. Do we humble ourselves to help our spouses be better? That's what we're supposed to do, husbands. Look, he says, love your wife like you love yourself. How many marriages would be stronger, be more meaningful if husbands wouldn't be self-centered? Spending all their time and their money on themselves whether it's hunting, fishing, golf, whatever it is you like to do. Listen, treat your wife, and, I, and I'm convicted of this myself, and I'm learning, and i got to do better. we got to love our wives like we love ourselves. We need to think about them the way we think about ourselves. Look, part of that is protecting them. we got to protect our wives. Protect our wives from, you know, from things that are going to get them distracted, that are going to get them, you know, cause them pain, heartache, you know. Do you, do you see yourself as a protector of your wife? Negative relationships that are in her life or negative people? You know, do, you, do you just let anybody talk to your wife a certain way or do you stand up for her? Do you protect her? Do you nourish her? I nourish her. Do you, I mean, do you, do you come in and see and say, hey, I, 
I'd really like to do this for you, or I'd, I'd like to help you get what you need. Do you care for her? These are, these are the descriptions, right, that Christ provides for the church. And husbands, you and I need to think about this. How do I, in this day and age, how do I, how do I protect my wife? How do I nourish her as a person in our relationship? How do I truly care for her? Because this is our role. This is what we're supposed to do. If we want our marriage to be what God wants it to be. Now, that's not the only kind of marriage. Listen, there's all types of marriages. Look, just go, go to the internet or go online and you'll see they, there is all kind of perversions and crazy things from open marriages to, to, to same-sex marriages to all kind of things. So listen, there's a, there's a variety of options out there. I do not deny this, okay? That, to, to deny that is to, to, to stick your head in the sand. However, you and I as believers, when we come to a moment like this, we have to decide, I mean, am I willing to submit to God's plan for my marriage? You see, that's our choice. Am I willing to submit to God's plan? You don't have to. Nobody can make you. Your wife sure can't make you. Your husband can't make you. I can't make you. The government can't make you. You have to decide of your own free will, am I going to be willing to submit to God's plan for my marriage? And I want to ask you a few questions. There's three ways really to answer the question. The first one is no. Nope. I'm not willing. And look, start with honesty. I mean, honesty is always my best policy. Am I willing? Nope. Not willing to submit to God's plan for my marriage. But if your answer is no, there are a couple of other questions I want you to ask yourselves in all sincerity. Maybe you're watching this online. If you're not willing to submit to God's plan for marriage, the first question is, do I really want to choose rebellion? Because make no mistake about it, when you say in relationship to anything, I'm going to do it my way instead of God's way, the Bible has a word for it, and the word is rebellion. Now, you may choose it. History is full of people who have chosen it. We've all chosen it at some point, but let me just tell you as a personal testimony, it's never a positive path and it never comes to a good end. But do you really want to choose rebellion? Another question that you may ask yourself, husbands, wives, if you're not willing to submit to God's plan for marriage, is who else is going to suffer because of that choice? Do you need to look any further than all the kids and all the broken relationships and all the societal problems, people who are suffering tremendously because one or both parties won't submit to God's plan for marriage? Do you really want to be that self-centered? Is it that important that you hold on to what's yours and do it your way? How much better would it be to say, you know what? I'm going to give it over to God. Maybe the answer is not no, and I would tend to say that most of us aren't going to go, no. You know, we don't want to choose open rebellion, all right? But we might be in this category. Uh, you know, am I, am I willing to submit to God's plan for my marriage? Maybe. Maybe not, not yet. I'm thinking about it. I'm working on it. have a couple questions for you there. If you're at the, in the maybe category or the, the not yet category, isn't no answer really an answer if we're honest? I mean, if you say, well, I'm thinking about it, or I know I should love my wife and I really need to do this, but, but isn't no answer really an answer? The second question Maybe the most important, if you're in the not yet maybe category. 
What's it going to take to get you to surrender to God's plan? And what's it going to take to get you over the hump? Is it going to take pain? Is it going to take seeing other people suffer? I mean, is it going to take prayer? I, I really can't answer that question for you, but you have to answer it for yourself. Now, hopefully, you're in the next category. I am today, all right? I, I want to know, yes, I'm willing, God, to submit to your plan for my marriage. Now, look, don't think even though my wife got up here and that I'm a preacher that we got the perfect marriage. I mean, we have plenty of struggles. You know, we have plenty of, of arguments, and we, we have plenty of things that don't go our way. And so we're by no means perfect. Many of our discussions are about, you know, well, you're not, we're not this, we're not that, but we're working towards it. So how, if I'm willing to submit to God's plan for my marriage, what do I need to start doing? Husbands, wives, what do you need to start doing in response to submitting to God's plan for your marriage? Do you need to start doing this? What do you need to stop doing? What are you doing in your relationship that is in, in, in a, against God's plan for your marriage? Maybe this third question, how can I communicate this? You know, it doesn't need to be just something that's here. You need to think about what it is you need to do. And this is where I've been wrestling. I've been thinking about in my own life, what do I need to start doing? And I've got a list going. What are some of the things I need to stop doing? And, you know, as I'm whittling down that list, now I'm kind of working on, okay, how do I communicate this to my wife or maybe even to my kids so that it's meaningful and, it, and, it, and it's serious? I can tell you this. More important than what I say is going to be what? What I do. And, and all of us, if we're honest or looking, and, and we've, we've dropped the ball in some ways, we haven't loved our wives like we should have, we haven't submitted to our, to our husband's leadership or to God's leadership like we should have, and so, so we've got all this history. And all this history of bad decisions on our part carries with it baggage, and it carries with it challenges. And so we got to figure out how do we kind of unpack some of that? How do we start making these types of transitions and, and adjusting our life in this way? I believe God's going to help us do it. You know, what's that song, that kind of twist to the song, Just As I Am? You know, I, you know, God's here today and He's saying, look, surrender to me, not how you think you might can be or how you want to be, but what? Just as you are. See, if you're here today and you want your marriage to be what God wants it to be, you're watching this online today and you, you know, maybe your marriage is not what you want it to be. You know how you get it there? Is you decide that you're going to submit to God's plan for that marriage, whatever it means. Now, the devil's going to whisper in your mirror the immediately, and then it's going to get louder and louder and louder that you're going to say, well, I can't do that because of her. I can't do that because of him. And what happened right there? In that one moment, you got to twist it up because you're not accountable for her. You're not accountable for him. Who are you accountable for? You're accountable for you. And really, as Laura and Oliver come up to sing this song, this, is, this song is such a perfect anthem, if you will, maybe for this. And a prayer is, are you willing to surrender? I mean, look, it, look, this is not easy, man. I mean, this as a matter of fact, this is, is probably harder than anything 
is am I willing to surrender what I want my marriage to be so that it can be what God wants it to be? And sometimes we're harboring what? We're harboring years of bitterness, unforgiveness, history that may not even be a part of that relationship. But guess what? If you can surrender to God, He can take all those pieces of whatever's there and He can make it into something beautiful. That's my hope and my prayer for you. As we sing this song together, make this your, your cry to God as well. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, help me to surrender my own desires, my own self-centeredness, my own wants and wishes that I have in our marriage to You. I pray, Lord, that You would help each of us to make this commitment today. The world is telling us a different story. Help us to write our own story according to the playbook, which is the Bible. We ask Your help to surrender. In Jesus' name, Amen.